Good, e good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It's good to have you tonight. If you would be, open your Bibles to Galatians, the sixth chapter. Galatians, the sixth chapter. In just a few minutes, we'll begin there. We won't have slides, and so I'd encourage you. We'll spend a lot of time, uh, part of the time, first of all, in Galatians 6, and then over in, in Joshua 7 in just a few minutes. Uh, we'll get to there. Uh, we are thankful for the opportunity to come together on Sunday night with so many other Christians to worship God and to make room. Uh, we are uh, making a simulcast available and right now we are having a little bit of difficulty with simulcast and so the influx at the end or uh, just a few minutes ago were individuals that left the simulcast to come and join us and for you guys that had to make that move uh, we apologize and uh, we're grateful that we are here together and uh, there's already uh, plans in, in the process right now for, for a fiber optic line that will go there that will hopefully solve this problem and uh, bear with us and uh, you always hear of growing pains and those are the best kind of pains to have and so we're thankful that we can work through those together and in all that we'll give God all the glory. You know last Sunday was a tremendous Sunday with Scholarship Sunday. We're thankful for Carter and for Alan and for Doug, and they were a great encouragement to us, and I want to encourage you to continue to pray for them and our other young people that uh, are devoting their life to Christ and they're serving in whatever abilities and capacities that God has given them. Also, your generosity to Agape and Happy Haven was just wonderful. Uh, two vehicles loaded down with goods uh, went in the two different directions, one toward Cookville and one toward Nashville to deliver those goods. And those that delivered them, we appreciate it. And each of you that helped, we appreciate it. I meant to mention to you, and I think I failed to do it both times. I, I meant to also mention it Sunday and then Wednesday and forgot it both times. Agave has made a four-page sheet available to us that describes their adoption process and even the cost that's involved in it. And it, it is, I was amazed at just how much clarity these four pages bring. And so if you want to learn more about adoption uh, domestically, uh, this is a wonderful resource. We made some extra copies. They're out at the Information Center. Just look for a full uh, 8.5 by 11 uh, front and back two pieces of paper, and you can take that and learn a lot. And, of course, go to Agape and, and talk with them more if you have further questions. Responsibly yours. As we've been thinking about over the past a uh, few months or just a little over, just in January, we've looked at two different lessons that dealt with the topic of responsibility. We're calling the, theory, the series Responsibly Yours because it is the idea that we belong to God and we can live a life that is responsible, that would reflect the goodness and the blessing of God, or we can live a life that doesn't reflect God and we can live an irresponsible life. In other words, what we've been emphasizing is that even though we live in a world where a lot of people around us are irresponsible, we should never expect and come to accept that Christians would be irresponsible people. Living the Christian life calls us to be responsible people. And so as we study this, we study something that goes back to the very core of who God is and has created us to be. We've been looking a lot at Galatians, the sixth chapter. And if you have your Bible open, I'd like for you to notice we've studied Galatians 6 and 1, 
6 and 2, 6 and 5, 6 and 7. Tonight we'll mention 9 and 10 and, and leap from there. But what I'd like to do is, is tie all of this together. You remember in Galatians 6 and 1, we're told that if someone is falling away from the Lord, it is our responsibility, if we're spiritual, to go and to restore them. In Galatians 6 and 2, we read that we are to bear one another's burdens. In other words, it is our responsibility to have our eyes open to see if we have someone around us that is carrying a load that is too heavy for them and they can share the load. It's our responsibility to be people that says, can I help you with that? Let me help bear some of that burden for you. But we look at the fifth verse of Galatians 6 and we find out that there's some burdens that cannot be shared. And that's where in Galatians 6 and 5 he says, For each one shall bear his own load. There are things about your relationship with God that no one can do for you. No one can worship for you. No one can have a personal devotion in their life for you. We could go on and on talking about your salvation, on and on. There are so many things that we can share burdens with others. But there are also so many things we can't share them. They're our responsibility and we either take that responsibility and we live a responsible life or we don't. Now we looked at verse 7 last time we talked about this topic, and it is that principle that God has put into place. Remember, we talked about the principle of gravity, how it is consistent. And we look back at Genesis, the first chapter, when God created in the very beginning, He placed in seed the ability to produce only after its kind. And so when we read Galatians 6 and 7, it's that same principle, except it goes beyond plant life and it comes even into our behavior. And he says in Galatians 6 and 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. It's easy to be deceived about that. It's easy for us to convince ourselves. In other words, it's easy for us to believe a lie that we can plant one thing and expect an entirely different harvest. And God says, don't be deceived about this. Whatever you plant, that's the kind of harvest you're going to get. Remember, it's later and greater, but that's the harvest you're going to get. And then he says, God is not mocked. You know, there, there's a lot of people that they have taken pride and created a, a very unhealthy life over the fact that they're able to talk their way out of anything. And there's people that they kind of laugh inside because they've mocked their parents because they were able to get anything over their parents. There are people that figured out how to do that with teachers at school and even coaches. There are people that have figured out how to do that with their bosses. And so inside, they get to mock. <laughs> oh, you fall for that every time. I can act irresponsible and you don't hold me accountable. And they think they've won something. Now, Keep in mind, whatever you sow, you reap. They haven't won anything except a very difficult harvest later. But notice this verse, be not deceived. God is not mocked. You may mock your parents and you may mock your boss and you may mock your teachers and other people that you fooled. But listen, God will not be mocked. You haven't pulled anything over on God. And that's after saying that, don't be deceived, don't be mocked. Whatever a person sows they will reap of that same kind of harvest of the seed that they have sown. Now, if you will, look with me at 9 and 10. Let us not grow weary 
while doing good. For in due season, see this language about harvest, you plant a seed and, and you give it a season and, and then you have a harvest. In due season, we shall reap, back to the harvest, if we do not lose heart. You ever done so much good that you just grew tired? And then at that point, when we are tired, it's very easy to become irresponsible. It's easy when we are fatigued to think, what I need to do, I don't want to do any longer. You know, it's difficult in times of grief. While people are grieving, they are usually fatigued, and it's easy to become irresponsible. Maybe sometime when someone is, is depressed, you're, you feel burdened and worn out, and it's easier to become irresponsible when we're grieving. We can go on and on of the examples and illustrations of when we're tired. But notice what he does here is he just says, okay, you've done a lot of good and you're tired. Now just because you're tired, and just because you're a little bit weary, is that when you say, well, I, I'm, I'm not going to do it anymore. Now, we don't have time to trail this one, but if you remember several months ago, we talked about moralistic therapeutic deism. And the whole culture of that faith that really is the largest faith in America today, the whole culture of that faith is that you pray because it makes you feel good. You worship God because it makes you feel good. You do good service to others because it makes you feel good. Well, what's the problem whenever you stop feeling good? Well, you stop doing it. Just stop going to worship. Or you just hunt around for a church that makes you feel good in worship. Or you stop praying. Or what about this? You're out doing good, but then the knee wears off. You know, I used to go out and I helped at this homeless shepherd, uh, center. And, and then uh, I used to go out and help at this domestic shelter. And then I used to go out. And you go back and say, why did you stop all these works? Oh, I did it for a few months and I, I kind of got tired of it. Oh, so you only do things until the new wears off and now you're tired of it. Listen, God never equates you doing good and your responsibility to do good based upon, oh, do you still feel really good about it? You do good based upon the fact it's your responsibility. Now, are you going to feel good about it sometime? Absolutely. Are you going to be weary sometime and not feel so good about it? Absolutely. Well, God, what do you want us to do when we feel weary with it? Well, let's read it again. He says in verse, line, uh, verse 9, Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those of the household of faith. And so the challenge is finding that balance in life because we can't do everything in life. But please note this. The idea that we're only going to do things while it feels good leads to irresponsibility. I want to encourage everybody here. I want to encourage you to find a ministry of the Lord's kingdom. And I want to encourage you to devote yourself to it for an extended period of time. And don't gauge your involvement in it based upon, I'm so excited, this is the, the week that we do our ministry. Even the weeks you're not so excited, you go and do your all. You give your all. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Instead, be a person that says, you know what, I committed to this ministry 
and I'm responsible. You can count on me. What this ministry needs, I will fulfill my responsibilities. Now, can I ask you something that at first you may think, this is a strange question. We just looked at 10 verses. Not every one of them tonight, but over the last few weeks, we've looked at pretty much all 10 of these verses. Great verses on responsibility. Have you noticed anything missing? There's something that if we were going to live out these verses, we would probably hear it come out of our lips pretty often, and we'd probably hear it come out of other people's lips very often. What is missing in these 10 verses? Prayer? Oh, that's right, it's, it's good to pray. I, no, I, I mean when prayer is not good. Oh, can you say that? Is there a time that prayer is not good? Yeah. Whenever prayer becomes our spiritual crutch to not take responsibility for what we're supposed to do, prayer becomes a negative thing. Let's go back and rehearse this real quick. Galatians, the sixth chapter and verse one. Have you been praying for someone that has fallen away? Now, let me ask you this. Have you gotten up and gone to them and talked to them about restoring their soul? You see, if all I've ever done is prayed about it, but yet I've not obeyed God. God, what do you want me to do? He says, I want you to stop praying about it. And I want you to go do something about it. What about verse 2? Bear one another's burdens. Have you spent an extended period of time praying for somebody that you know is hurting? And oh, I just pray and I pray for them because I know they're hurting. Have you gone to them and shared their burden? What would God have you to do? That's when God would say, you need to spend a little less time praying for them and you need to go bear their burden. What about verse 5? Have you been praying to God about things that's your burden? It's your responsibility, but you've been praying that God would just take care of that? You know, it's foolish to pray for things that God's already made very clear is your responsibility. You ever pray to be honest? You don't need to pray about that. You just need to get up and be honest. Someone prays about an adulterous relationship that they're in? You don't need to pray about an adulterous relationship you're in. You just need to stop committing adultery. We could go on and on and list many things that some people spend a lot of time praying about, and I can assure you God's saying, there's no need to pray about that. Just start living a responsible life. Sowing and reaping. You go out and sow your wild oats, and then you pray for a crop failure? God's not going to answer that one. What you might want to do is stop praying prayers that don't work and get up and living a life that does work. Even 9 and 10 that we just mentioned a few moments ago. Praying about not doing good? Or what about instead getting up and doing good? When I think of this, I'm reminded of James, the second chapter. Turn over and let's read just a few verses and then that will take us over to Joshua and we'll end there tonight. Look, look in, in James, the second chapter in verse 14. And even though the exact wording is not necessarily prayer, it's the idea of blessings. Uh, when, when like you say verbally, you say words to people that are supposed to be words of blessings. But have you noticed that when you say words of blessing, whether it's to people or to God, but yet your actions don't back up what you're saying, that's where God says, I don't have any need for that in my kingdom. And here in this passage, what he calls it is faith without works. Notice how he does this. In James, the second chapter, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren? If someone says he has faith, but does not have works, 
Can faith save him? If a brother or a sister is naked and destitute of daily food. Now pause there. What would we call that out of Galatians 6? We call that verse 2. Bear you one another's burdens. Here he gives this scenario. You, you have a neighbor, you have a brother or sister that they need clothing. They need food. Well, should I, should I spend a lot of time praying? God, please help them to get the food they need. Please help them to get the clothing that they need. Or should I just get up and be responsible and say, let, let me help share this burden with you? Well, notice what he says here. And one of you says to them, now see, it's not exactly a prayer, but he's going to speak blessings to them. And one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Isn't that a powerful illustration? I want you to just pause for a moment and, and let's be just really honest with ourselves. What have you prayed for lately? That the truth is, you don't need to be praying for it. Instead, you just need to get up and do something. Now someone says, but, but you're saying I can't pray for it? No. You think about 1 Thessalonians 5, 7, pray without ceasing. Think about 1 Peter that teaches us, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. Listen, I'm not saying that it's sin to pray about things like that. But if we are using prayer as a crutch to not do anything, then that's when there is a problem. A serious problem. Prayer should not be a crutch for my irresponsibility. In other words, I can't live an irresponsible life and think that some way my prayers can be a substitution for my irresponsibility and God's going to say, oh, that's good. In other words, I was wanting you to do this, but since you prayed about it, you don't have to do it now. So what have you been praying lately? That God would probably say, instead of you continually coming to me in prayer about this, I'd like for you to just get up off your knees and go do something about it. I want you to keep thinking about that. And, and I'd ask you even tonight and tomorrow when you're driving to work, I, I'd like for you to meditate upon that. Because I really do believe that many of us, obviously as Christians, we throw out the, oh, I'm praying for you sometime when what we really mean is I don't want to do anything else. And so this is my crutch. And as wonderful and beautiful and as powerful as prayer is, let's make sure that we do not turn it into something that is really a sign of weakness for us. Could that ever happen? I think we see it in Joshua the seventh chapter. You remember back in Joshua the seventh chapter, we have a powerful story. <clears throat> Joshua is leading the children of Israel into conquest. Remember we studied this morning about Moses being right over on the edge and he's giving them the law the second time and it would be his final time to lead them, which is the book of Deuteronomy. And then Joshua is going to lead them over into conquest. And the first city that they come to is Jericho. 
And when we look in the sixth chapter, remember that is an amazing story how for six days they marched around the wall once a day and then on the seventh day they marched around it seven times. They blew the trumps and the walls fell. And God did all of this to prove to them that it's God giving the victory. That is, it's not the, the mighty warrior and army and, 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 and military skills that the children of Israel had. It was the power of God. And so the way God gave them Jericho was just a reminder, the power's in God. But also in all of this, God made some things very, very clear. And I'd, I'd like for you to drop down in, the, in Joshua, the sixth chapter, and let's get some background to the seventh chapter. Look in verse 17. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live, and she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, that's strong language, isn't it? By all means, abstain from the accursed things. In other words, the spoils. Lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. But now everything else, when you drop down to 21, they should be utterly destroyed. All that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey and the edge of the sword. And, and verse 24, but they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And then we go into the seventh chapter and they are ready for another conquest. And this time it's a little town of Ai. And, and so a, a group is sent out to spot. And when they came back, they reported, this place is so tiny. There's no reason for us to send all of our army there. If we just sent two or 3,000 of our soldiers, that's going to be plenty to take over this small area. And so Joshua decided to send 3,000. And they, they went up to fight this, this group that it ought to have been so easy for them to win compared to this walled, fortified, powerful city of Jericho where because of God's blessings, they took over the city and lost no lives themselves, no casualties themselves. And so now 3,000 are going to go up against this little group. But, but notice what happened. Verse 4 of Joshua 7. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate. And, and look down in verse 6 what Joshua's reaction was. He tore his clothes, fell on the earth, his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel put dust on their hands. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord, God, why have you brought these people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Sometimes when things don't do, go well, you know who we're quick to blame? God. Okay, we go against this little group and 36 men that we love, they're now dead. 
God, there's a problem. What have you done to us? You know, if you just left us over on the other side, at least we were all alive over there. Now, that's easy to forget that really a whole generation died off. But anyway, the mindset is we forget the things of the past that are negative, and, and we could have just stayed back there. God, why? Why are you letting this happen? Now, some of you already know this story. What's going to be revealed to us? It wasn't God. The problem was not God was irresponsible. The problem is that sin had come into the camp. Achan was the one that had been irresponsible. And so the result was that the children of Israel suffered. So God tells Joshua in verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned. They have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived. And they have also put it among their own stuff. Skip down 13. Get up. Sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed things from among you. So the next day, as we skip down, verse 17, the clan of Judah is called out, and then eventually in 17 and 18, Achan is called out. In 19, Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and that is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, which, by the way, those garments in that day, is not like maybe some of you ladies that walk through a store and you're just like, I've got to have this. Their garments were so expensive. I know some of you ladies may try to pull this one too, but, but uh, uh, they literally, they were investments. And, and so it was the idea that there was great worth to this garment, and it, it would have worth over time. And, and so, you know, for him just to see something, you might say, why was he so tempted by a garment? It was a very expensive garment that would have great worth over time. And, and not only that, notice also there's 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. And notice what he says, I coveted them and took them. And there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. Joshua sends out the messengers to find the accursed things, and then he and his family and those possessions are taken down and destroyed. What do we learn about responsibility as it deals with this challenging topic in this study? First, I would offer to you from what we just saw in 21 there. Oftentimes, responsibility does not look logical. Think about if you'd have been in his shoes. You're looking at an entire city being destroyed. Big, Jericho. You're looking at large amounts of silver and gold being taken to the treasury of the Lord. And you're looking at all the rest of the spoils being destroyed. 
And here's a man that loves the garment that he sees. And he sees some gold and silver. And you know, and we're going completely human reasoning here. Not righteousness. Human reasoning. Human reasoning would say, it's not going to hurt a thing for me to take this one garment back. Look at all of this that's being destroyed. It's being destroyed anyway. I might as well get some use out of it. And look at this gold and silver. Look at all of that gold and silver that's going to the treasure of the Lord. The Lord's not going to miss just a little bit of gold and silver compared to what is there. You see, sometimes being responsible from a fleshly standpoint doesn't look reasonable. In other words, if we're expecting our friends to tell us that a responsible life is such a good life, it's so wise. You ought to do it. You and I need to recognize that, that people, especially that are in the world, but oftentimes us as Christians that are in the midst of temptation, if you think, I tell you what, I'm going to be responsible, but I'm going to do it based solely on my own logic. I'm a responsible being. I can figure out what's responsible. No. We must not walk by sight, but we must walk by faith. And that's the only way we're going to learn and live a responsible life. To be willing to say, God, even when it doesn't make sense with my eyes and my thinking, if it is what you ask me to do, I will do your will. Now, brethren, when we can do that, we will be responsible people. But anytime we try to rely upon our own logic and our own eyes, we will fail at that. Number two, I'd like for you to see and be reminded of the fact that irresponsibility always has a harvest. Look back again at verse 5. What happened? 36 men perished. We're talking about husbands. We're talking about fathers. We're talking about 36 families that lost their loved one. Why? Because back in the previous battle at Jericho, there was a seed that was sown. And that seed, as we just discussed in the previous point, probably didn't look like a big deal to Achan. But remember, that's the way seeds are. Seeds start out small. And remember, the harvest is always what? Remember the two things? The harvest is always later and greater. You see, when he first took those things back to his tent and he buried them, the first night, he might have been a little bit nervous. He gets up the next morning and what, what might have he said to himself? That wasn't a big deal. I was really nervous about taking those things at first, but look, nothing's happened. You know, like when you start cheating at school, you know, that's not a big deal. I was nervous at first, but look, I'm getting by with it. There's, there's nothing going to come. You know, when you start a little bit of drinking and smoking and drugs, and at first it may be, whoa, I wonder if this could bring harm into my life. And then after a few weekends, you realize, I'm cool. This, this isn't going to have an effect on me. Look, I, I'm okay. Or you know at work, when you start cutting the corners at work and what is your responsibility, you're not really doing it all. And then you're, you're, you know, at first you're kind of nervous about it and you're watching. I wonder if my boss is catching on the fact that I'm not. I wonder if my coworkers are catching on. And then after a little bit, you're like, oh, everybody's cool. I, I, th this is working out good. Everything seemed probably really good to Aiken for just a little while. 
But then later came a harvest. They go up to Ai, and he watches 36 of his peers die. And then there's the day of reckoning, where there's going to be a calling out of who has taken the accursed thing. And he watches himself go and confess his sin to Israel. And watches he and his children go to be destroyed. I would think all of us would understand that planting that seed of just a few possessions stolen, most everyone here would probably argue that harvest was unfair. It was so much greater than what was sown. I want to beg you tonight and myself tonight, we must believe God. We have this real cool thing that we say in our society, make sure that the punishment fits the crime. Try explaining that one to God when what God has said from the very beginning is just know that what you sow, there's not going to be a punishment equal. There's going to be a harvest that comes. It's always much greater. You plant one grain of corn, you get a whole stalk with several ears with hundreds of kernels, not just one grain, hundreds of grains. Try explaining to, to Achan, hey, little sin isn't a big deal. Look, you've gotten by with it. No. Irresponsibility always has a harvest. I can't back this up except with anything except just life experience. You can go through your 20s and you can play around with things that you don't need to be playing around with and you can convince yourself that it's not going to affect you. And you can go through the first part of your 30s. But I want to tell you something. You won't go the next 15 years you won't leave your 30s and throughout your 40s without seeing the harvest of all the things that for 10 or 15 years you told yourself, I can do it and it won't affect me. I can do it and it won't affect my family. I can do it and it won't affect my job. Because after all, I've been doing it for five years now. I've been doing it for 10 years now. When you're 40s, You'll wake up one day and there'll be a harvest that will be out of your control. And you will probably live the rest of your life regretting that you sowed those seeds. Irresponsibility always has a harvest. But the third thing, and I know we got to close, but look with me just real quick. I want to remind you of this. It just echoes just what we said. I'd like for you to see Joshua's words, 7th chapter and verse 25. We didn't look at this just a minute ago. And, you know, you can look at this and say, wow, that was harsh. But you know what he was doing? He was just speaking reality. Notice what Joshua said to Achan here in Joshua 7 and 25. Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones and they burned them with the fire after they had stoned them with stones. Those first sentences resonate, don't they? 
You know, we talked a few weeks ago about any time we're irresponsible, we cannot avoid the fact that we live within community. Our irresponsibility, the harvest, this is a sad thing. Our harvest doesn't just affect us. It's always greater. The harvest always affects other people. And so when we're playing around with this stuff and we're saying, it's not going to hurt anybody. Oh, no, no. Not only is it going to hurt you, it's going to hurt a lot of other people in your life. It always works that way. And so really, Joshua had the right to throw up his hands. He's looking at 36 families that have lost loved ones. And he's saying, you did this to us. Why did you trouble us like this? Tonight, I need to believe the pain of irresponsibility goes much further than just to ourselves. But we close tonight with where we began just a few minutes ago. Intentionally, we've made a circle, and I wanted to end with this. Go back to verse 10. We've already read it, but I want you to see this. So the Lord said to Joshua, and he says this with an exclamation mark, Get up! Why do you lie thus on your face? Now remember, remember when we were reading that just a few minutes ago, the four or five verses prior to that? You remember what he's doing on his face? He's talking to God. He is, he is on his face talking to God. And what does God say? It's time to stop praying and it's time to get up and do something. God, what do you want us to do? Joshua, there's sin in your camp and you need to bring a sanctification. You need to make sure that the sin gets taken out of the camp. And so Joshua gets up the next day and he calls attention to the camp. We have an accursed thing in this camp and we're going to find it today and we're going to take care of the problem. There always comes a time in life to say the amen at the end of a prayer and get up and do the responsible thing. Tonight, let's evaluate what we've been praying about and make sure that we're not using prayer as a crutch to be irresponsible. Tonight, let's make sure that we set our heart on being responsible people. It is a wonderful thing to sow seeds of responsibility because the harvest positively affects not only us but others because the harvest for good things is later and greater also. But tonight, if there are things in our life that we know we're doing that's irresponsible, what if tonight we took responsibility for it? And we said, tonight's the night I stop making excuses. Tonight's the night I seek to make things right with God and with others. And if we can help you with that, what we all know here tonight is that it's really easy to be irresponsible. But let's not do it. And so tonight, if we can encourage you, if we can help you, let's encourage each other and let's walk faithfully with God. If you are ready to be immersed in Christ or if you're ready to be